Good morning, church. It's good to be back to the church for a time of corporate worship after being away for about a few days in Malacca for our church retreat. And today we are going to begin our new sermon series, So Great a Cloud of Witnesses. This is the second series. I call it Season 2. The first season premiered in May 2022. If you have forgotten who were those heroes of faith we have covered in that sermon series, you're welcome to visit our website, podcast, or YouTube channel to find out more. And for this new series, I'll be sharing with you a, the life story of Fanny Crosby, the one that Pastor Isaac just mentioned in the pastor's voice, based on Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20, talking about contentment in Christ. Next week, Pastor Leonard will be sharing with us Life story of Pastor Wang Mingdao, based on Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, not ashamed of the gospel. And the final sermon of this sermon series will be done by Pastor Isaac, based on Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 to 13, life unbottled, talking about the life of William Borden. Okay, without further ado, let us pray and commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for surrounding us with such a great cloud of witnesses, revealing yourself not only through your word and your son Jesus Christ, but also through the many godly lives of those who have, those who have gone before us. May our hearts once again be encouraged and rekindled as we open your word and listen to the life story of Fanny Crosby this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Fanny Crosby was a blind hymn writer born in Putnam County, New York in the 1800s. When she was just about six weeks old, her mom held her tiny hands and in her tears of anguish, she asked the doctor, are you sure you have to do this to my daughter? Those who have grandchildren, those who have child, children, you, you can feel what the mother felt then. She was only six weeks. Are you sure you want to do this? The family's regular doctor was away when Fanny started to develop eye infection. So her mom brought her to this man who claimed to be a physician. Despite Fanny's screams in pain, the doctor put hot mustard poultices on her inflamed eyes, insisting that that would draw out the inflammation. Yes, indeed. Fanny's eye infection did recover, but her corneas had been burned throughout the process, through the process itself. The scars began to form over them, and in weeks to follow, the parents realised that their daughter was not reacting to any visual stimuli, and their worst fear were confirmed. The young Fanny was blind. Although Fanny was only able to see for the first six weeks of her life, but she did not consider herself handicapped. Growing up, she did many things like other children. She went to school for the blind, she got married, and she started her career as a hymn writer when she was about 40 years old. And guess how many hymns she managed to write in her life? Worship team, you know already. Okay, those who are here for the first time today, can you guess? How many songs Fanny has written in her life? Anyone knows? She wrote more than 8,000 songs. She wrote more than 8,000 songs. Now, another guess. What are those songs that she has written? Some of those are very, we are familiar with, you know. Guess. Anyone knows? 
anyone, any hymn that you know is written by Fanny Crosby. I'm sure some of you know, right? To God be the glory, great things He has done. Oh yeah, this one written by her. The other one, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Do you know this song? This is written by her too. And this, Jesus keep me near the cross. This is by her too. In one of her biographies, Fanny's was, Fanny was described as a disabled woman in the eyes of the world, blinded as a young child, but her spiritual eyes saw great biblical truth and turned them into thousands of hymns to God. And this marvels me because if anyone had a right to be angry with God because of her circumstances, it was young Fanny. But she accepted her blindness with positive, atti positive attitude and it was evident in one of the short poems she wrote, which was also mentioned in Pastor Isaac's pastor's voice. This was written when she was just eight years old. She said, Oh, what a happy soul I am, even though I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I am blind, I cannot and I won't. You know, ever since Fanny turned blind, her mom anxiously used up all her life savings trying to get the best doctor for her, hoping that her eyesight will be healed. One day, she took all her savings together with her and Fanny. They went to see a doctor in another different county by boat. But the doctor's final diagnosis has shattered the mom's last hope. On their way home that day, young Fanny prayed this prayer in her heart. She said, Oh God, a blind person like me can do nothing. But if you would use me, I'm willing to do it with all my heart. How can Fanny's life flourished for God so beautifully in writing so many hymns to bless generations of believers even 200 years later and beyond despite of her blindness? As I reflect about her life, I think it has something to do with her contentment in Christ. She was grateful for the things that God has blessed her with instead of being bitter with that one thing that God did not give her. And this led us to contentment in Christ through Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. The book of Philippians was a, was a letter written to the Christians in Philippi while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Philippi was a Roman colony located in Macedonia, which is our current-day northern Greece. Even though Paul was under house arrest, his joyful and thankful spirit are evidently seen throughout the whole book. Something familiar? Does this look something familiar? I learned from Pastor Isaac. <laughs> so even Paul was under house arrest. The joyful spirit can be seen throughout the book. He repeated the word joy, rejoice, and sometimes translated as glad 16 times in a short letter of four chapters. Philippian church had a special place in Paul's heart. It was the first church Paul founded in Europe in his second missionary journey. And this church maintained active support for his ministry. You know, imprisonment carried with it a social stigma. 
It would have been easy for the Philippians to turn their back on Paul at this point while he was in chains. However, they remained faithful to him by sending gifts to Paul delivered by a man called Epaphroditus, who was a leader of the Philippian church serving alongside Paul. He ended up serving together with Paul in the ministry in Rome, and at some point, he fell sick, very ill, nearly lose his life. So after his recovery, Paul sent him back to Philippi, carrying with him this letter to the Philippians church to express his heartfelt gratitude to the Philippians for their support. And besides expressing thanks, Paul also took the opportunity to encourage the church concerning some practical matters such as humility and unity. These are the things, these are the contents that we can, found, can be found in the book of Philippians. He warned them about the legalistic Jewish practices and gave instruction on how to live joyous Christian life with a message about the secret of contentment. He points out that the source of his joyous contentment was rooted in knowing Jesus Christ which is his most valuable and cherished possession. Philippians chapter 3, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is taught is through faith in Christ. In my recent conversation with a friend, we were talking about what is our limiting factor when it comes to food, whether is it quality or quantity. What will you say? It took me a long time to think about it because, because I can only choose one of them. But inside my heart, I wanted both. Right? If the food... It's good, but it's not feeling. You won't be happy. If the food is feeling, but it's not as good, it's not that happy also. So to be happy and satisfied, the food must be good and must full. We must feel full, correct? This is Chinese. <laughs> right? And this is the definition of the Cambridge Dictionary talking about contentment. It says contentment is happiness and satisfaction, often because you have everything you need. Yet, I discover another reality about humanity through my recent hiking experience. You know, I like hiking. Right after I reach the mountain top, immediately, I will be thinking about the next mountain to climb. In the end, I turned my recent vacation to Hong Kong into a hiking trip. I was there for eight days. I climbed five mountains. And one of the itineraries was to eat, enjoy all those Hong Kong street food, right? But on that day, when I, when, I, when I planned to go and eat street food, I found myself in the mountain again. Because I realized that my happiness and satisfaction is always at the top of the next mountain. Once I get off the mountain, the sense of excitement and happiness will fade away. So in order to keep me happy and satisfied, would that mean that I have to keep on hiking? So what have I learned? What have I discovered? I've learned that humanity has a propensity to live endlessly for the next thing. The next weekend, the next vacation, the next meal, the next purchase, the next game, the next experience. And our happiness and satisfaction seem to be always one something away 
whatever you may feel into the bank. So my question is, when will we be content when we keep looking forward to the next? When Paul talks about contentment, he's referring to an attitude towards life. It is more than just a feeling, definitely. Something which he has learned, especially in the face of severe hardships, poverty, beatings, illness, shipwreck, and even his current imprisonment. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do this through Him who gives me strength. Paul begins this section with an acknowledgement of the Philippians' recent gift. He refers to the gift as their renewed concern for Paul in his needs, in verse 10a. And then he qualifies what he says about them in the later part of verse B, pointing out that the intermediate hiatus in their giving was due to lack of opportunity instead of lack of concern. The great word translated as content, otakens, expresses the ultimate goal of Stoicism. That is to live above need and abundance in such a way as to be self sufficient. Not that the stories are oblivious to circumstances, but they believe that a truly contented person is not determined by their circumstances. They believe that a person must be independent of others and of circumstances in the sense that being free from their either causing distress or effecting serenity while their serenity comes from being sufficient unto oneself. In short, depending on themselves, self-sufficient. Paul here is using the similar language of the Stoics to describe an attitude toward life that outwardly seemingly looks like the Stoics, but with a very radical different source. It's a very radical different source. When he says in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It is a verse that we often misquote. He always says, I can do all this with, through the one who gives me strength. When we face our own giants, our challenges. But the context tells us that Paul here is talking about contentment. So by saying this, this verse, Paul transforms the very stoic-sounding sentences in verses 11 to 12, which sounds like promoting a sense of sufficiency within himself to sufficiency in Christ. He's saying that, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to, to have plenty. I have learned the secret being content in any and every situation, whatever, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, because I know that God is the one who gives me strength. Paul put it right in the perspective that Christ is the source of our contentment. And thus he turns 
self-sufficiency into contentment because of Christ's sufficiency. Christ is enough for him. Once a well-meaning preacher made the remark to Fanny Crosby, which was also mentioned inside Pastor's Voice, this preacher said, I think it is a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. Do you remember how did Fanny respond? Fanny responded at once. She said, do you know that if I at birth, I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Saviour. Throughout Fanny's life, she refused to let her blindness be anything other than a blessing from God. When she first started her hymn-writing career, she knows that she needed God's help. So this is how she described her hymn-writing process. She said, It may seem a little old-fashioned to always begin one's work with prayer, but I never undertake a hymn without first asking the good Lord to be my inspiration. And God indeed, provided inspiration from all areas of her life that she can write so many songs. She chose to be content with her blindness, however unfortunate others may think of her life situation. She chose to be delighted in whatever lot that God had for her. So now as we heard Paul's teaching, as we heard part of Fanny's life story, now the question for you is, what about you? Today, is Christ enough for you? Have you ever in any moment in your life struggled with Christ is not enough? A practical example, this is also one of the things that I have been struggled with because I know when we say Christ is enough, yes, Christ is enough for our salvation. In Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. In Christ, through Christ, we can come to God and call Him our Abba Father. But in times when you are hungry, Christ is enough or actually you need a bowl of rice. A lot of daily lives that we go through, it is very, very truly a struggle for us to say that Christ is enough, isn't it? Once a young person shared with me this, he said, the person I like does not like me back. Not being able to marry the one that I like, how can be enough? How can Christ be enough? Friends, in moments when we lost our health, when we witness watching our loved one deteriorating day after day. When our dreams to get married or build family shattered. When you lost your opportunity to get into a dream job, dream school, or for some reason, you become blind or paralyzed one day. What would your heart resolve to? Will you still stay Will you still say that Christ is enough and being content, having a sense of joy, being placed in such a situation? Is Christ enough for you at this present moment? Or I should ask, what holds you back from, from saying Christ is enough? J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, he says, I walked in the sunshine 
with a scholar who had effectively forfeited his prospects of academic advancement by clashing with church dignitaries over the gospel of grace. He said, but it doesn't matter, for I have known God, but they have not. Pecker continued writing. He says, not many of us ever naturally say that in the light of the knowledge of God, which we have come to enjoy past disappointments and present heartbreaks, as the world counts heartbreaks, don't matter. For the plain fact is that most of us, they do matter. We live with them as our crosses, so we call them. Constantly, we find ourselves slipping into bitterness and apathy and gloom as we reflect on them, which we frequently do. The attitude we show to the world is a sort of dried-up stoicism, mouths removed from the joy unspeakable and full of glory, which Peter took for granted that his readers were displaying. Poor souls, our friends say of us, how they have suffered, and that is just what we feel about ourselves. But these private mocks heroics have no place at all in the minds of those who really know God. They never brood on might-have-beens. They never think of the things they have missed, only of what they have gained. When Paul says he counts the things he lost dung, he means not merely that he does not think of them as having any value, but also that he does not live with them constantly in his mind. Because what normal person spends his time nostalgically dreaming of manure? Friends, Christ is enough for Paul. He considers everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Whatever happens in his life, he resolves to delight in what God is doing for him. And when he speaks about the thorn in his flesh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says that, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Friends, can you delight in God when He allows bad things happen in your life? Despite hardship, Paul constantly shows his satisfaction in Christ. Yes, there were moments of sorrows, but he never complains about his lot or feels sorry for himself. He never expresses resentment towards God or doubts God's goodness. On the contrary, as what we have seen, he's full of joy and he praises God. Because true contentment is a state of mind in which our desires are confined to our lot, whatever it may be. Fanny was content in Christ. She resolved to live her life for God in whatever ways the Lord wanted for His glory, despite her blindness. And so too, we can do all things through Him who gives us strength. And we can learn to be content knowing that God is the one who gives us the power to do what He calls us to. He is the one who gives us strength and grace to follow and obey Him. Because God is the provider of our sufficiency. Back, in, back then when Paul writes to the Philippians, the church are also going through hardships of their own. 
So Paul encourages them to be content in Christ and trust God for their, for, to supply for all their needs. In verse 14, he says, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Once again, Paul acknowledges the gift from the Philippians, referring to their gifts as their partnership in his trouble. Then he reminds them the laudable history of their partnership. You can see how deep their friendship was then. Verses 15 and 16. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. He then says in verse 17, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more be credited to your account. The, the phrase here, not that I desire your gifts, doesn't mean that Paul doesn't need their gift, nor Paul disbelittle their giving. In fact, Paul sees their gift to him more than just a gift that serves his physical health, his physical needs, but serves more significantly as evidence of their spiritual health, something Paul has always been concerned about Philippian church. That is their progress and joy in faith. Similar to our tithes and offerings, God does not need our giving, but giving represents our love for God and our commitment to the church. Our giving represents our growing faith in God. So Paul sees Philippians giving as an evidence of their growing faith in Christ. In verses 18, to 20. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus to the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 18, Paul acknowledges that give the third time. Saying that he has received in full and he has been filled up. And at the same time, he refers to their give as a fragrant sacrificial offering pleasing to God. Now, friendship in the Greco-Roman world presupposes reciprocity. That is mutual giving and receiving. Something Paul has mentioned earlier on at the end of verse 15. Here in verse 19, Paul says that his reciprocity will come from God. As Paul sees their gift as the effect, has the effect of being a sweet-smelling sacrifice pleasing to God, Paul now assures the Philippians that God will assume responsibility for reciprocity. Paul says that my God will act for me on your behalf by filling to the full all your needs. So what does all your needs means. When we put it into perspective of verses 11 and 12, all your needs means that all that you need for God-glorifying contentment, which may include times of hunger and need. Paul's contentment flow from his faith in the grace of God's infallible provision for his beloved brothers and sisters in Philippi who have been faithfully supporting him. And he, this leads Paul into doxology in verse 20. To God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
know, in Fanny's autobiography, she recounted this story of her own experience. She said, one day, I wanted a modestly substantial amount of only $5 for a particular purpose and needed it very badly. I did not know just then exactly how to get it and was led in mind to pray for it. Somehow, I knew that good Lord would give it to me if I asked him for it, though exactly how, I did not know. Not long after I prayed for the money, a gentleman came into the house past the time of day, shook hands with me and went out immediately. And when I closed my hands after the friendly salutation, I found in it a bill which he left there. Remember, Fanny cannot see. So a, visit, a visitor later told me it was a $5 bill. I have no way to account for this except to believe that God, in answer to my prayer, put into this heart of the, this good man to bring me the money. My first thought was, in what a wonderful way the Lord helps me. And this experience led Fanny to write this another hymn, All the Way My Saviour Leads Me. Friends, Christ is the source of our contentment. We also learn that through the text and through the life story of Fanny, that God is a provider of our sufficiency. So the question we want to ask ourselves today is, so is Christ enough for you? As I shared with you just now, I, I struggle with the real, with the truth. It's actually truth that Christ is enough. But yet, in our daily experiences, the reality itself is Christ sometimes seems like not enough. And as I continue to struggle, I wonder what is my response? How should I respond to it? And, and this one day, this thought came in one whole line, popped into my mind. I would like to say that come from nowhere, but certainly it was from God. And the line goes this, like this. He says, Christ is enough if He is all that you want. And Christ is not enough if He is the one you, he, if you want Him and everything else. Let me repeat. Christ is enough if Christ is all that you want. And Christ is not enough if we want Him and everything else. So the question when we ask ourselves, is Christ enough? The deeper question we ask is, is Jesus Christ the only thing that you want in your life? Is Jesus all that you chase after throughout your life? As Christians, as, as God's children, we all know that what really matters in the end of the day. Ecclesiastes 5, 15 says that every, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. And we are familiar with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, that seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So as Jesus challenged His disciples then, He challenges us today as well. Do you trust God that He will really provide all that you need for your God-glorifying contentment when you seek Him and Him alone? When you resolve to want Him alone, He is the only thing that you want in your life, then he, do you trust that He will provide all other things that you need? Fanny maintained 
her contentment in Christ all her life and considered blind, her blindness a blessing, not the curse many would be tempted to call it. And she said, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank Him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly eyesight would offer to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. So friends, let's take a moment of silence and reflect on what kind of life situation that God has placed you in today, this, period, this season of your life. And will you resolve to glorify God by finding your contentment in Him and Him alone and trust that He will provide all your needs to the full, not a bit, but to the full. And will your heart echoes with Fanny's poem and say that, oh, what a happy soul I am, even though I, you can fill in the blank, and resolve that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't, to weep and sigh because I, fill in the blank, I cannot and I won't. Let's take some time to pray and I'll invite the worship team to come.